is Decoding Learning Differences with Kimberlyn Lavelle, and this episode is IEP Tips, Parts of an IEP. So in this episode, we are talking about an individualized education program, an IEP, and all the little pieces that go with it. I was wanting to give some specific tips about goals and accommodations, and I realized before I can get to that, I need to go over the whole bigger picture. So you have that big picture of what is this document about what, I mean, I'm sure if you're listening to this, I shouldn't say I'm sure, most people who are listening to this probably have a good idea of the overarching purpose of an IEP. But you may or may not be familiar with the individual pieces in it. And I just want to highlight some of the pieces that I find, I feel are the most important. So let's dig in. The first area that a lot of IEPs, I shouldn't say start with, most start with general information about the student, like identifying information, student's name, age, the dates of when the IEP started, all of, there's all these dates for different things, um, addresses, all of that kind of thing. Also a qualifying disability might be on that information eligibility page or pages. Sometimes that gets buried at the very end or somewhere. I found it all over. Present levels is then the next big section that often appears. And sometimes it's not a single section. It's divided up like a present level for math and then a goal for math and a present level for reading and a goal for reading. What I want to highlight is however it's laid out, included within the present levels should be a child's strengths, their interests, possibly their learning preferences in terms of they need a lot of movement. They learn better in the morning or in the afternoon. They need dark, dim light, or they need frequent breaks, or whatever it is. A small group, one-on-one, like thing, all of that can go into those present levels. And, and always worded in a positive way. And that's true of all of the present levels. It should never be can't. It should always be can it's not the child can't do fourth grade math. It's the child can add two single digit numbers. It's can. It's what can they do. People get it wrong all the time. I shouldn't say even wrong, but it's it's not the lens that we want to be looking at a child from. We don't want to be looking at the child from a deficient lens. You're deficient. Well, we're all deficient in something. <laughs> I, at least most of us are, we all have areas where that we could grow in and become better in. And, but focusing on what you can't yet do doesn't help anyone. It, it allows us acknowledging where a child is at, allows us to know where they're not yet at without that needing to be said in that way. And it does also focus, okay, well, they do already have adding and subtracting single digit numbers. So the next logical step is adding a two digit number plus a single digit number or subtracting a, a two single digit numbers with positive answers. <laughs> Don't want to accidentally get into negative numbers and really confuse the child. Um, so, we, but we always want to move in that direction. So we've got those strengths, preferences, interests covered somehow. There's also going to be areas 
like I kind of have been alluding to with like math, academics. So all the academic areas should be addressed, specifically math, reading, writing, and anything else that is warranted. Sometimes it's just a global academics. Sometimes they divide it out into specific like subcategories where each area is then addressed and what the child can do. Now included in here could be scores, but it shouldn't only be scores, but it can include scores like according to the most recent star math test that so-and-so took, they're at a grade level equivalency of 1.3, the standard score was blah, 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 however they word it, they're in this percentile. Those are things that give us a picture of where the child is at right now. And, and whether or not there's a need there. So then we can see, okay, well, if they're here, but their grade level is here, we should write a goal in that. And that's going to be coming up later. So we go over all the academics, the reading, writing, math minimum. There also should be an area on communication. There should be an area on health and development. There should be an area on fine and gross motor skills. There should be an area on daily living or adaptive skills. Basically, can they take care of their own personal bodily needs, um, navigate themselves from place to place, things like that. Um, and then sometimes there's a section on like vocational, which is kind of vague and it can mean things like their ability to use a computer, their ability to turn in their assignments and keep track of their things, the skills that they need for their vocation as a student. And then as they get older, it can be going into like job related skills. So all of that should be addressed somehow in present levels, wherever it's at, it should always be can statements. The child can do this, can do this, can do this. Then wherever there's kind of a gap between what they can do and what we would expect them to be able to do, largely based on grade level, but it can also have something to do with cognitive ability like IQ. When there's a gap there, we write a goal. So then let's talk about the goals. There should be a minimum of one goal for each area of need. Um, and going back up again, on the present levels, it, it should be can do this, can do this, can do this. It should never be not an area of need. People used to do that a lot, but it doesn't really tell us what the child can do. So it's better to say the child can attend to all of their personal needs than to say the child that it's not an area of need or N.A. You know, sometimes they just throw N.A. in there. And the reason for this is actually having them type out. Susie can attend to all of her personal needs allows us to think, it means that they thought long enough that they believe Susie can actually attend all of her needs. When they say N.A., did they really even think about it or are they just used to everybody being N.A.? But Susie actually has fine motor issues and can't button her own pants and therefore has to wear uh, elastic waistbands or whatever, like, is just an example. But the point is, we want to make sure they actually did think about Susie when they wrote that sentence. So having that sentence written out is beneficial rather than just N.A. or non-area of need, which they might kind of copy and paste a whole bunch of times when they think that the only areas are academic. Okay, so we have the areas of need. We figured out, okay, there's some kind of discrepancy here between where they're at and where we think they should be. They have an area of need. Now, my specialty was academics. So most of the goals that I talk about are gonna be academic based. 
Um, although I did have to write some behavior-based goals or vocational-based goals, but in general, that was my main focus. And, but it would be for all the areas of need. Like a speech-language pathologist would write a speech-language goal if there is a communication need that has been discovered. Um, so these goals, we want a, a minimum of one goal for each area that we've identified there's a need in based on the present levels. And then each of those goals needs to be written well. And I'm gonna get more into this later, so I'm not gonna go super deep now, it'll be its own topic. But the gist of it is we don't want too many goals, like we don't want 20 goals. Yes, your child might be lacking in 20 skills mathematically, but we don't want 20 math goals. It's too much for the child to work on in a targeted way and doesn't allow the child to necessarily grow, especially if they're already struggling. There's, We've got to hone into why they're struggling and how to make effort, how to make progress. If they're a student who is still in a general education setting and they're just getting extra support, then they're already exposed to all the gen ed standards. All those standards tend to repeat kind of year after year. They get harder, but it's a harder version of what they've worked on before. So it's, they're going to kind of review what they're already struggling with in their gen ed setting. When they're with their service provider, the specialized academic instruction provider, then they're working on those specific goals that they were struggling with. They might also work on other things relating to class and other skills, but their focus is to work on those specific goals. So what, as a team, everyone needs to come up with, and usually it's that provider who comes up with an idea, but it, it can be adjusted. Everyone gets a say. What we need to do as a team is figure out what is most impactful, what is the skill most necessary for this child to be able to access current grade level standards. There's a gap right now. What do they need to be able to do to access this material? So like understanding what a fraction is might be the first step to being able to access adding and subtracting fractions or, or even ratios and percentages later on. If they still don't really understand what a fraction is, then you need to kind of start there. Now, each goal usually has objectives, so you also have room there to address areas of need kind of in the single, the smaller objectives that lead to the overarching goal, but so you can kind of hit a couple of standards all in one goal. Um, and the only other thing I wanted to say about that is we want a minimum of one, and we don't want too many, and every area of need should be addressed in the goals. And we're gonna get into this more specifically on all the elements that a goal should have and how to kind of devise a goal and make sure that the team that you're working with is writing good goals. So those goals that were written then drive what services the child should receive. If the child has 20 goals because they have a lot of areas of need, they've got goals that are going, um, that are for gross motor skills, for fine motor skills, for communication, for academics. They've got 20 goals altogether. 
okay. So maybe some vocational goals in there, maybe even behavioral. What is the best? How are these goals going to be addressed? It's kind of our beginning, our beginning look, right? We're thinking, okay, well, the gross motor skills, the way that they're written, they should be addressed by a physical therapist or an adaptive PE teacher, depending on what's going on there. Fine motor skills should be addressed by an occupational therapist or the classroom teacher with support from the specialized academic instructor are able to handle the level of fine motor needs, or at least to start with. So it's, it's going to just be addressed by them. Okay. Communication. Speech and language pathologist is going to address those goals. And they need to work very intensively. So we're going to do two hours a week, which is a lot, actually. <laughs> really uncommon from what I've seen. But whatever it is, they they lay it, they figure out, okay, they've got all these needs, they've got, we need to work on this. Okay, now the academics, that's gonna be a lot. They're gonna need an hour of reading, an hour of writing, an hour of math. And then they're gonna need to also work on these vocational goals. And, and that's where you start looking at, okay, actually the best place for that child is to spend the majority of their time in the specialized academic instruction environment because they have a high level of need. It can look any which way, right? We're just considering all the service providers, who is addressing the goals, who is working on the goals, how are they being worked on? And and then from there, we're also considering least restrictive environment. What is the least restrictive place where a child can make gains on these goals and meet these goals with the most amount of access to their general education peers, the most amount of access to the general education curriculum, and, and sometimes that means spending all day in a specialized academic instruction classroom, because if they spent all day in a gen ed classroom or even a big chunk of their day or any chunk of their day for, in some cases, they get so emotionally overwhelmed or overstimulated, or they, they, they either get, they get overwhelmed either by the amount of children in that classroom or by the level of rigor that they shut down and they learn absolutely nothing except feeling like they are defeated, that they cannot do any of these things. They must be stupid. They, you know, they start having all these negative thoughts about themselves. And that's where, for those students, they often benefit from then spending all day in the specialized academic instruction setting where everything pretty much is at their level. It's all designed for them. So they're then gain a lot of confidence and they, cause they can see like, I can do this. And oh, now I'm doing this harder thing and now I'm doing this harder thing. And they can feel themselves start to make progress. Now there's other kids who, if you put them in there, they'd be like, what's wrong with me? Why am I in here? I don't belong with these kids because they know that they can do the grade level stuff. And these kids are doing stuff way lower than their level. So they feel badly about themselves in that situation right? So we have to be careful and there's no one right answer for anybody. And there's definitely room for a whole spectrum in there. And it goes beyond, um, you know, a child can spend all day in the gen ed setting and still be on an IEP. It can, they can have consultation services because they're doing very well, but they, we don't want to take away services completely until we know that they're stable in that setting. Um, 
And then the other way, you know, sometimes being at the school with gen ed peers is still not appropriate for that child. They need something more. And then you go into like non-public schools and, and things like that. Um, but for this conversation, in general, most, most IEPs are around how much service should the child get from each of these providers? What is the best setting for them to spend the majority of their day? And they can definitely spend chunks of their day in gen ed and chunks of their day in the specialized academic instruction setting and in the service provider settings. And it can be any percentage anywhere from zero to 100% of their time can be spent in any of these settings. It just depends on what's best for that individual child. Okay, the next thing that I think is one of the most important sections of an IEP and I think is neglected too often is the accommodation section. Accommodations allow for a child to access the gen ed setting um, or curriculum or even the specialized academic instruction setting and curriculum as independently as possible, as successfully as possible. And as part of this, I should have mentioned, it's also modifications as needed. So quick difference between the two. An accommodation is something that is offered to a child that does not change the rigor, the, the level of difficulty. Um, the same standards are expected of that child as of any other child. It's just that they're allowed to perform it in a slightly different way, but they're graded basically at the same level. Um, and I'll give some specifics to make this make sense. And I'm also gonna go into it deeper in a separate episode because I think it's very, very important. Modifications are when you have to do something to an extent that it actually changes the level of rigor demanded of the child. For example, if you, if everyone in the third grade class is taking timed multiplication tests, I'm not even going to go into why I don't like those, but everyone's taking them, your, your student, your child gets really anxious if anything is timed. So they're, gonna do it in the specialized academic instruction room. And that teacher is just gonna write down silently without the child knowing how long it's taking them to complete each page. So we know whenever they get to the level of mastery that the teacher is looking for. The teacher is still looking for that same level of mastery that they complete the whole page in one minute or whatever it is. And when they get there, the special ed teacher can let that gen ed teacher know he got there. He's ready to move up to the next level. That's an, that's an accommodation. The same level of rigor is expected, but it's being altered a little so the child can be successful. The, and a, a modification for that would be that the child be allowed to use a multiplication chart to complete their test. And they're not timed because using the multiplication chart is going to slow them down. So that becomes a modification. They're not expected to memorize their multiplication facts. Now, in other situations, the use of a multiplication chart is an accommodation. For example, if you're doing word problems that require multiplication, 
a multiplication chart is an accommodation allowing the child to figure out that they read it, they figured out they need to multiply, and now they're grabbing the chart to complete the multiplication problem. But the skill there is working on reading and understanding the problem to then turn it into a multiplication problem. Now you can have multiple accommodations in the same assignment. This child can't read at grade level, they need things read aloud to them. Okay, so someone has read the problem to them, they've figured out that it's multiplication, they've grabbed the multiplication chart, they've solved it. Their brain is figuring things out and they're able to solve it with those accommodations. Now that accommodation is primarily an accommodation versus a modification if the child knows how to multiply. For example, they could draw out enough to get the answer, but it's a three digit by three digit problem and it's gonna take too much time for them to figure out every single one and draw pictures for every single one or however it is. Maybe they also know how to create their own multiplication chart, but we're not gonna make them do it every for every single problem so they can just use one that they've already created or that has been created for them. So it depends on basically what the lens is, what is the skill that is actually being worked on in this assignment or what is being tested on this test? Is that skill no longer being tested if I give them this accommodation? Then it's a modification. If it's still being tested, then it's an accommodation. Um, some other common, common accommodations are text to speech, so similar to read aloud, but now it's like a computer doing it, which allows more independence, or speech to text. The child can talk instead of typing something out or writing something out. There's a lot of reasons where that's really just an accommodation for a child who has a fine motor difficulty or Sometimes it's an attention difficulty, a, a working memory difficulty. There's all sorts of things. So that can be an accommodation. Um, I don't want to go too far into all of this because we are going to get to this in a separate episode. Um, but just keep that in mind. We want to make sure that we've really thought through what does a child need, especially if they're in a gen ed setting. What do they need in that gen ed setting to be successful? And it is not good enough for a team to say, oh yeah, well we do that for everybody. Write it in there anyway, because that teacher might do it for everybody. But what about next year's teacher? What about if you suddenly have to move schools? What if that teacher suddenly leaves and a new teacher comes in? It needs to be in writing so that it's guaranteed for your child, even if it doesn't mean anything extra for the teacher because she's already doing it for everyone. Great. We wanna make sure it also is happening for our child no matter what. So. Anything like that, you just want to have everything documented. Accommodations, there should be, for most kids, there should be quite a few of them. Um, there are some kids who need almost nothing because they can access everything without an accommodation. They're doing very well. They might have very minimal services. They're kind of on a consultation basis. Okay, fine. They don't need much. But most kids need at, at least three or four for the most part. Um, but it's all, it's all individual. So I can't tell you everyone should have this accommodation because then it's not individual. <laughs> That's the point of the IEP, individual. Okay, some other parts of an IEP document can be the notes page. The notes page is optional. Meaning some school districts choose to not have a notes page and some school districts choose to have a notes page. Usually this is a legal thing. Um, 
at least here in California, and other states might actually have laws about whether they have to have it or they aren't supposed to have it. Here in California, it's optional. And the school districts kind of are do have the same reasoning for deciding the two opposite things. They either want the notes page to protect them legally, or they don't want the notes page to protect them legally. Is <laughs> basically, if we go to due process, is the notes page gonna be used against us? I don't wanna have a notes page. We don't have to have it, so we're just gonna rely on the rest of the IEP to prove that we did all the things. No notes page. Others want the notes page because it allows them to document that they asked the parent if they had any questions and the parent said they did not. It allows them to document that the parent did ask this question and they gave this answer. And so it allows, it's a place where the, the parents can find out or the, the, the school can kind of document where they did all the right things. As a parent, the thing you need to know is that you need to read that notes page carefully. And if you disagree with any part of it, in the meeting, you might be able to get them to change it. Or you can write your own notes page and ask that it be attached to the IEP. Even on a, a an IEP, as far as I know, again, I'm not a special education law expert, um, and I'm I, I'm I'm most familiar with California, but I have limited experience with other states. For the most part, you can write something out and ask that it be attached to the IEP, which means that if it's a digital IEP, they need to scan it in and have it attached as an attachment um, digitally, but they also need to have it attached to every physical copy that they ever make of that IEP. It is a legal part of the IEP. Now they can say it's 100% the parent that submitted it, it's only theirs, it's, you know, kind of a one-sided or whatever, <laughs> it doesn't even matter. Like they can, they can, they can for, they can label it however they want in, the, in those terms, you know, within appropriate means, but it's then attached. So you have your documentation that you disagree with something they said or that you have you know this extra information that they didn't record and that you felt was important to record so but also during the meeting you can if you know that they're taking notes and you can ask ahead of time are you taking notes for this meeting okay who's taking the notes i'd like to see the notes before the end of the meeting and you can also throughout the meeting and i've had plenty of parents do this so you can say did that did that make it in the notes about you know, what they said about the accommodation for the multiplication. Okay, can you read that for me? Okay, thank you. Yes, that's exactly what I wanted, right? Like you have, you can ask those questions and you can have that conversation in a way that is real time. And then they know you're paying attention and that you want those notes to be accurate and reflect the conversation. <sighs> okay, there's also some other bits of the IEP that I kind of just am throwing all together here. A lot of IEP documents have testing accommodations separate from the other accommodations, but they should be similar. You don't, a child shouldn't be getting a bunch of testing accommodations that they don't always have in class. So it should basically be a repeat um, with some exceptions where an accommodation just isn't allowed in your state or whatever for the state testing, but it's allowed in the classroom. So things like that, It'll, there'll be some discrepancy, but for the most part, they should be similar. There will also be some other pages um, 
like here we have a page called special factors and it goes over is the child deaf or hard of hearing sorry deaf or hard of hearing are they blind or visually impaired or do they require low incident services are they an english language learner is their behavior impeding anyone should they have a behavior intervention plan which was then part of the iep so there's all these other small bits and sometimes those are just like a bunch of nope 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 and we move on right so or nope 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 yes here's what we're doing about it right what anytime there's a yes my child is an english language learner now we need to make sure that is addressed in the IEP appropriately and different states will have different laws about that. Um, I know in California, there has to be certain things done for those kids, like goals have to be written that address the English language learner needs. So just kind of look through all of it and make sure that you kind of have those general general pieces covered and the, the, the parts that I've kind of highlighted for you. Um, you can kind of think through it. So this might be an episode where you want to listen a couple of times, um, especially because I get a little rambly, sorry. Our takeaway today is that an IEP can feel daunting. The, the actual document can feel daunting and confusing, but taking the time to familiarize yourself with it is worthwhile. It's it's beneficial to your child, it's beneficial to you so that you can feel like an active participant. Um, and part of this, I would recommend always asking the IEP team to send you a draft of the IEP at least three days before the meeting. Now they might have laws where you're out where they don't have to do that or they can't do that because they don't wanna get dinged for predetermination, It, whatever it is. If, they, if they're able to and they're willing to, it is helpful to then go through it and um, and have those questions ready or, or those concerns ready. Like, I don't understand this goal. You know, my child is already able to do this. Why is a goal written in this? Or whatever it is. Or I'd really like to see a goal written in XYZ. Um, and feel free to reach out to the person, the case carrier, with those concerns before the meeting even because like myself, when I was a case carrier, if a parent reached out to me ahead of time, I could draft things based on what they told me ahead of time so that things went a little more smoothly in the meeting and we didn't have to then delay or reconvene or anything. There was just, it was a little smoother and we could go through all the, all the things right away at that meeting. But whatever works best for you in your particular situation and the team that you're working with is what you go with. If you need any help on any part of your journey, whether it's educational consultation, you want someone to virtually go over an IEP document with you to make sure you understand it, to point out where there's things that are not great and they need to improve, or to go over a psycho psychoeducational evaluation with you to help you understand what it's meaning about how your child is learning and what your child needs, what services and goals and accommodations they, their IEP should have, I, I provide those educational consultation services. I also provide direct tutoring services, for lack of a better word. Um, right now I'm specifically doing dyslexia, but I am planning to also do do some fun stuff with some other other disabilities in the future. So whatever you have going on in your life, Email me, Kimberlyn at decodinglearningdifferences.com. 
You can find out how we can work together if I have any openings for whatever it is that you're needing. And if I don't, I will do whatever I can to find someone who can better meet your needs right now. So again, email me, Kimberlyn at decodinglearningdifferences.com. I look forward to hearing from you and I will talk to you guys again next week.